Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. The end is nigh, you guys. Can you feel it? I certainly can. I on the conclusion prize. I feel it in my soul. And yes, I still have one even this far in on the demonic. What is wrong with me that nothing came to claim it? I don't know. We're talking exorcism today. Gonna be a good one. And though today's episode will be on the shorter side, there's a lot of punch packed into this topic. One more regular lesson episode following this that will be on demonology and the experts in the field before the big season finale. We are so close, you guys. And uh, I really hope I've given this entire subject a fair trial come end of season. Congratulations to River, Will, and John for winning the giveaway last week. The live to announce I was doing one was a lot of fun. The giveaway was fun. And I'm really looking forward to digging into the new topic of psychics and mediums, y'all. What a fantastic suggestion. I shall do my best. Before we jump in, wanted to give another shout out to my friend Jordan over at the Fireside Paranormal Podcast. If you are not already listening to this show, you're missing out on a really fantastic podcast. He is an outstanding host, and I'm always impressed with his lineup of guests and the topics covered. He has really interesting people from all walks of life that come on his show to talk about their experiences and different paranormal topics. I always feel like I'm just listening in on a conversation. I tune in every week and love it, and I know you will too. So go listen to Fireside Paranormal on your favorite platform and join the Fireside Paranormal Hub over on Facebook. It's a community of really supportive folks who are enthusiastic and knowledgeable about the paranormal, and it's a fun place to hang out. And one last thing, did you know... That spooky season doesn't last just a month. Shop Wicked Cat Clothing year-round to get your horror, paranormal, spooky, and Halloween apparel. Go to Wicked Cat Clothing and shop apparel and accessories now. Save 30% off with code PARANORMGIRL30. All right. Exorcism comes from a Greek word I am not going to try to pronounce, meaning binding by oath. It is practiced in religions and cultures across the globe in order to evict various spiritual entities like demons, jinn, and even your regular old ghost. The rites of exorcism are performed by an exorcist for a person or location believed to be possessed. 
Here in America, we tend to associate exorcism with the Catholic Church and Pentecostal churches and and other Christian-based belief systems. But this ritual is actually quite old and quite expansive. Different variations and practices of it can be seen in Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Taoism, and so on and so forth. You get the idea. While the methods of extraction will vary, the tie that binds most of these various rituals at their base is the idea that an energy or entity that does not belong in the vessel needs to get gone. In largely the Christian faiths, the entity that overwhelmingly needs to be driven out is the demon. Depending on which faith we're talking about, the exorcist responsible for performing the ritual can be anyone from just a member of the church thought to be graced with special powers or skills to do it, to any priest in the Eastern Orthodox Church as they are all trained and equipped to perform them, all the way to the much smaller, specially trained unit of exorcists under the sanction of the Catholic Church, the black ops of the Christian world. In Islam, a healer performs an exorcism by deciphering the type of spirit they are to relieve the patient of, including jinn, ghost, devil, or demon, by having a conversation with the entity itself. The healer will ask it about its religion, gender, and the reason for the possession. Following this is a cleansing and a reciting of various verses from the Quran that will be dependent on whichever entity the healer believes to be in there. Exorcism in Taoism takes place after an evil spirit or ghost possesses a person in one of two ways. The person either stumbled upon the ghost and the spirit possesses them out of revenge, or someone has used dark magic to send a ghost to possess another person out of revenge. The exorcisms are performed by Taoist priests called the Fashi, who use chants, mudras, and prayers to drive the evil spirits out. In Hinduism, we see the exorcism playing out by reciting the various names of Vishnu or by reading aloud the Bhagavata Purana, which is a text about good vanquishing evil, and the Garuda Purana, which also centers around Vishnu and deals with topics like death, disease, good versus evil, and spiritual health. In Hindu tradition, people can be possessed by restless and oftentimes malignant ghosts, and every now and then, a demon. We'll get back to the Christian-based form of exorcism and and go through it, but wanted to give you a little taster of what exorcism can offer depending on where you're born. And also to reinforce the idea that religions and cultures outside the context of a Christian baseline without a belief necessarily in a Jesus-type main character perform exorcisms because they believe possession to be real because they believe in powerful enough entities that can do such a thing. No Jesus, no Christian Bible, still a belief in the entity. Am I being clear here in in shaking any preconceived notion that this ritual and the phenomenon of possession and a possessing force is not Christianity's idea and they don't own it? It's everyone's idea. We all own it. See, we're all a lot more similar than we are different. We just have different opinions of going about this liberation, but all to the same purpose. Yeah. Back to the Christian exorcism most of us are probably more familiar with. Exorcism has been a part of the Christian faith since the beginning, as you can see examples of it detailed out even in the Bible. 
But as we learned from the history episode, this faith was born from the faiths that preceded it. And a lot of ideas and stories and characters were carried over into it. So how far back does possession and exorcism go? Not sure there's going to be an easy answer for that. We can see if we look at ancient Greek beliefs and folklore, demons played an important role. This role would change throughout the years, at times being associated with many inanimate things. They, they would be associated with bodies of water or trees. They would be associated with sickness and disease. And since disease, especially ones of the mind, would conceivably look to overtake a person in their actions and thoughts, it was logical that possession by a disease demon or a misfortune demon or a nature demon could occur. There were even beliefs at the time that the gods, the, the celestials, could overtake and control a person's actions or situation. All of this is just to say that ultimately the cases of possession and exorcism we know nowadays could very well have originated in those earliest days, and of course transformed and adjusted over the centuries. Though exorcisms were performed by the Catholics since Catholicism's earliest days, exorcism would become equipped with official guidelines established in the 15th century. According to those guidelines, an authorized priest of proper piety, prudence, and integrity was the only one allowed to perform a solemn or major exorcism. But the message must have gotten lost or muddied in translation over the next 400 years, as it was also understood that any Catholic was considered to have the power to command demons and drive them out in the name of Christ. In 1985, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger wrote a letter to the church noting that an increasing number of prayer groups were congregating for the purpose of deliverance of demons from folks. At that time, Cardinal Ratzinger rescinded the permission for both lay people and non-exorcist priests to proceed with any kind of exorcism. It was because of the continued practice of exorcism without consent from the church that prompted the official guidelines to be amended in 1999. This amendment reestablished the procedures that we are more familiar with today. The affected must be evaluated by a medical professional. Mental illness must be ruled out. The exorcist must be specially trained and equipped to diagnose an actual demonic possession and, of course, be ready to administer the exorcism. Now that we're all caught up, what does an exorcism look like? I'm assuming here uh, most of my listeners have not had to have the devil evicted from their body. So hopefully this will just be interesting knowledge gained for us all. The Catholic Church will be the first to tell you that cases of true demonic possession are actually quite rare, finding only about one out of every 5,000 reported cases to be valid. But let's say we've got a case of someone who believes or is believed to be possessed. First thing that happens is contact or connecting with a local priest. An initial appointment is set where the person in question will meet and speak with the priest and go over history and symptoms. The priest may at that time offer pastoral guidance or deliverance prayers. Once that is done, this is where the priest's investigation begins. It is up to the priest to assess whether or not the person needs to move on to the next step. If they think the situation warrants further investigation, they may consult a psychiatrist at this time for input on the symptoms. Depending on that, the person may be referred to them. 
They will also be undergoing a medical examination to rule out any physical illness or disorder that may be causing the experience. The priest may also consult with a church-approved expert on the paranormal for additional input. And of course, at the end of the day, they also need to consider whether they're just being duped. Let's say the person gets to this point without any real answers from the medical professionals and the priest is convinced this is a valid case. He then reports this to his superior, quite often a diocesan bishop, that an exorcism is needed. The church, upon their own looking at the case, then would sanction the ritual to take place and appoint an exorcist. Before beginning, the exorcist must first go to confession or elicit an act of contrition. If they can, they will offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass and implore God's help in other fervent prayers. For the exorcism, they must don a black surplice and purple stole. With the possessed person before him, bound if necessary, he traces the sign of the cross over them, over himself, and over anybody else in the room, and then splashes everyone with holy water. The exorcism then begins with the recitation of the Litany of Saints. The remainder of the ritual is made up of a series of prayers, statements, and appeals. Between prayers, the exorcist will either implore God to free the possessed person or command the devil to leave them. Throughout the ritual, the exorcist will sprinkle holy water on everyone in the room, sprinkle it throughout the room itself, lay hands on the possessed party, continue to make the sign of the cross over himself and the possessed, and also touch them with some Catholic relic. And at the end of the exorcism, the person sits up, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, renewed and demonless. Except that they don't, because it doesn't work that way. No, see, exorcism is a long process. Some priests saying it can last weeks, months, or even years. Multiple times a week. Maybe even taking multiple hours a session. Ridding yourself of the demonic is not a one-and-done affair. It's a spiritual quest. Now, I mentioned there were other Christian-based formulas for this ritual, and there are many exorcist-for-hire type scenarios that may offer an in-and-out deal. And then there are deliverance ministries. I put some links below for your own research. I, uh... Okay. You know what? L uh, let me just start out this way, talking about these guys. Deliverance ministries are groups that perform practices and rituals to cleanse people of demons and evil spirits. While each individual event of deliverance with various people and locations is going to be a little different, many of them will take the same steps. Diagnosis of a demonic force, naming the demon, expulsion, and then some form of action taken by the exercised person post-exorcism to keep the demon from coming back. All sounds fine, right? Nice and clean on paper, or on air. These performances are anything but. They are, for lack of a better word, spectacles of the highest order. Deliverance ministries claim to have precedence for doing exorcisms the way that they do because of the way Jesus did it in the Bible. Some participants in modern deliverance ministry believe there is no right or single way to cast out demons and will use many different methods so long as they are rooted in their faith. 
these folks are quite simply moved with the Holy Spirit to spread the good word, deliver us all from evil, and protest everyday comforts and things that they believe invites the devil in. Evil things, like dungeons and dragons, certain music, certain art. Demons can also run in families, according to them, and be the cause of your poverty and adultery and sexual preference or identity. A quick search online shows deliverance events being offered all over and all the time, but I wanted to take a closer look at this process. You know, maybe I'm being too harsh here. I mean, at their base, these deliverance events are from a place of love, and and they totally wouldn't take advantage of numerous folks who are convinced that they have demons inside of them and are reaching out for help. Somniaplus.com has a fairly good Q&A at the bottom of their homepage, really lays out the hows and whys for our easy understanding. For instance, is deliverance safe? They say yes, and that it is highly beneficial. All right. What opens the door to demons? Their answer is that each case is going to be different, but most commonly, any form of witchcraft, using drugs, and major violations of commandments. How many sessions do I need? They stress that deliverance is complex and time-consuming. Depending on what they find during the first session, they will decide then if you need more. They end with... Most of the time, your issues may be resolved just in one session. All right, very cool. Understood. So how does this work? After you submit your request or call us directly, we will set up an initial assessment interview via Zoom, which is free. Oh, cool. That, that, that's so nice of them. We will hear your story and ask you some questions. Often, people think they are tormented by demons, but the real issue may not have a spiritual cause. Once we believe we are dealing with a demonic oppression case, we will schedule a full session. Before the session, you will donate $250, which will cover two one- to two-hour sessions. Wait just a doggone minute. $250? And people pay it. It's the old pay-to-pray scheme, y'all. Even the hardcore, super-serious Catholic exorcism is free, as well it should be. The complaint I heard recently was that, well, yeah, they're free, but they're impossible to get. Which may explain why folks turn to alternatives, such as deliverance ministries. And where there is a market for it, there's money to be made. That being said, though, the Catholic Church regularly offers exorcist training nowadays. In 2018, the Vatican held a week-long training course for priests amid the rise in reported possessions worldwide. In 2019, they rolled out a course in exorcism that was opened to Christians of all denominations. So, you know, maybe with more access and trained exorcists coming out of the woodwork these days, Deliverance for a Price Ministries may become Deliverance for the Right Reasons Ministries. Anyway, I wanted to close out this episode with something kind of cool in relation to this subject and far less infuriating. Did you know that possession in Africa 
is considered a form of communication between the person and the spirit world. It's looked upon with reverence and celebration and has important religious, social, and political meaning behind it. In some African cultures, the possessing parties are the spirits of ancestors and mythical heroes. The spirit will make themselves known via illness, dreams, sudden avoidance of certain items or practices, or the appearance of several distinct personalities all within the same person. In many cases of possession, the host will accept the possession willingly, which is followed by a ritual of accommodation where the spirit is invited to take over the host's body. Afterwards, the individual often becomes a medium through which the spirit communicates on social or religious occasions. It is a celebrated occurrence in these cultures, and only when the spirit is originally perceived to be harmful Is it exercised and removed? Isn't that cool? A different take on the whole topic. So, there you have it. Exorcism, baby. We looked at the history, the process of getting one, what happens during one, and some of the different varieties. I feel so smart. I posted about it back when it aired, but if you haven't gotten a chance to hear it, I was a guest over on the Paratalk podcast with host Reeves Cook. He's fabulous. The show is fabulous, but, and I might be biased here, my episode was really good. So go take a listen to that. Next week, I'm talking with author and medium Rob Guttrow. He's most well known for his pet mediumship and has helped thousands of grieving pet parents find comfort via his readings and in the signs that our loved ones on the other side can provide us that they are still around. So catch that one next Tuesday. For now, rate and review the show. You know how I love it when you whisper sweet nothings onto my Apple Podcast show page. And I'm taken right back to kindergarten when I see those five stars. What do you say? Give me some star stickers. Follow along with the show and any updates on all the social medias at ParanormGirlPod. Submit your story of your paranormal encounter straight to the email, paranormgirlpod at gmail.com, or via the submission page on the new website. That's it. Tra-la-la. Let's do a final note. Imagine having been born in Africa, in a community that not only did not fear the thought of possession, but upheld it as an honor. Put yourself in those shoes for just a moment, and being able to distinguish between the different spirits enough to not immediately jump to fear, or a dark label, or the rush to expel it. That's a tough concept for some. I know. I know. And I know the identity spiral one would have to go down in order to arrive at that thought. But this show is and always will be about looking at these subjects from all sides, oftentimes from the opposite side of your own beliefs. Because that is what a new understanding of this stuff requires of us. If you can empathize and understand the opposite viewpoint or opinion on anything you suddenly gain power over it. It took me far too long to realize that, but I do now. Not all demons are bad. Not all angels are good. That was an online comment someone had made on a, on a random Reddit thread, I think it was, that I mentioned back at the beginning of the season. 
it struck a chord in me, and, and it still does. Now, I told y'all, if I discovered something in all of this that I thought was to be feared, I would be honest. I would tell you. But I just haven't. I haven't experienced a demon since I, I started this season, what, three, three months ago? I haven't had excessively bad luck. No one I love has died because of demons. They died last year because of COVID, but not demons. I haven't become ill or poverty-stricken or possessed. Actually, everything has remained pretty steady, pretty normal. But even if things happened that were out of my control or considered bad, because that is just life, I only had myself to blame. And maybe the people who cut me off in traffic. Y'all, you have got to learn how to drive in the South. Where the hell are you going in such a rush? You don't have anywhere to be. It's Louisiana. Calm down. But demons? Where are they? When are they coming? Or maybe they don't exist. Or maybe they only exist for those who are choosing to see them everywhere. Now, I am in a place right now in my beliefs of the supernatural variety that it is undeniable to me that there are entities and energies and paranormal occurrences that are happening. They just are. I may not understand them or have yet to know that they even exist. But the idea that there is more going on here than meets the eye is unshakable. So do I think there are forces out there that would be considered dark, scary, maybe not having my best interest at heart, maybe wanting to trick me or manipulate me for some reason? It's entirely possible but I refuse to be afraid of something simply because it's dark or conceivably negative and because I don't understand it yet. Some of my best friends in my lifetime were dark and negative people. And when I took the time to look beyond the surface, I could see the reason behind it and I could understand the entire picture. Fear comes so easily when you misunderstand something as a threat. When I say the word gargoyle, what comes to mind for you? For anyone who has never thought about them much beyond what we've seen in movies or pictures, they're a little intimidating. They are dark, ugly, monstrous winged creatures. And their sole purpose since the medieval times is to ward off evil spirits and bad luck. They are, despite how they appear, protectors. Thank you, Will, for enlightening me on the matter. I had no idea. But I do now. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.